Greetings, Earth. Welcome to the Nostalgiaverse. Hello and welcome. As always, I'm Kat, your host, and with me is Alex. Hello. Today we have a very special guest, uh, actor who's done quite a number of things, a lot of science fiction and, and other stuff, as well as an author, Mr. Uh-huh. Eric Fairpoint. Hello. <laughs> I'm glad you put that in there. Yay! Yeah. Yay! <laughs> An actor who can think and write. Yay! Yes. <laughs> well, see, a lot of a lot of times people think, oh, acting, anybody can do that. Actually, no, not anybody can do that. And they think that actors don't have really any other skills. And when you actually look at screen actors, they learn a lot of different skills from horseback riding to playing musical instruments some of them can sing beautifully mm-hmm. some learn to fire a bow or to use a sword they and they learn all kinds of different skills or they get exposed to something that then suddenly sparks their interest in a subject that they hadn't thought of before and i've come across that a number of times talking to different people yeah i think Actors that everything that you've just said is accurate and i think probably done most of them mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah some and probably actors, better than others. <laughs> yeah, actors are very intelligent people. It's how they can do what they do and do it so well. <laughs> so, or at and, least fake it. <laughs> there you go. You can um, fake intelligence. You you can go a long way in this business. Like Shackner? Right? <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Okay, we won't go there. <laughs> On the side of acting, how did you get started? Everybody has a story. So what, what's your story on how you got started acting? Well, I was actually uh, an undergrad at the University of Redlands here in California. I kept signing up for acting courses and canceling, probably out of some kind of fear to get going. When I was a senior, I remember I, was, I said, you know what, just do it. I'd been kind of had a, a loose liberal arts education. And I studied a lot of philosophy and history. and But anyway, I got involved in this uh, acting class. And there's an excellent teacher there we called Dr. Paul, Paul Little. It just stuck. And I remember walking around the stage one night. I guess it was uh, after rehearsal. And it felt like home. It felt like I found the place I wanted to be and wanted to do my life in, live my life on stage or wherever. And I was a, you know, of course, a young kid. I was what, 21, 22 years old and was immediately talked out of it by my uh, <laughs> by my father. Oh. He said, you, you should not get involved in that business. It's the worst business ever. And, if, and he gave me all of these reasons and he talked me out of it for probably uh, almost three years. Tried different things. I did workshops. I My first job out of college was uh, for the National Park Service, and I gave guided tours at the Lincoln Memorial Mm. in the the dead of winter for like five months. No one ever visited the Lincoln Memorial in the dead of winter at night. Are you kidding? It's freezing. But they, I, I was in an arts workshop area that was also run by the National Park Service as an artist. I was a potter. I got transferred to this arts department. Uh, this arts, uh, which is an abandoned amusement park where all of these really cool art classes were. And we bust in um, kids from all over. And they lost funding on that after a couple of years. And I was running restaurants. And I said, you know, 
I've got to get back and, and study. I've, I've got to go back into the theater. So I went over to Catholic University in Washington, D.C., which had a really good drama department at that time. I met with a couple of the higher-ups there. And I began my sort of a four-year journey of studying classical theater and getting a master's degree at Catholic University. That was my start in terms of my love that built for the theater. And we did all kinds of things. I mean, you're talking about singing. Of course, we did musicals, we did Shakespeare, and we did so many different, uh, I, I 40 or 50 plays, I guess. And I so I got my feet under me that way. One of the funniest segues was, well, also I was turning myself green by working impossible hours at the restaurant as I was trying to get this degree. And that's why it took me so long. I had to work all the time too. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I remember we were all talking us actors there, but there were a couple of agencies in Washington, D.C. And films would come in and they would hire you as an extra or whatever. And you'd sit in your car all night long with your arm hanging out the window trying to get your arm to act on camera. <laughs> You made 50 bucks or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a call one time from one of the agents who said, uh, spoke with a really fun Southern accent, and her name was Martha. Martha said, Eric, honey, do you think you could stand in front of a camera and sell mattresses? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm doing Shakespeare right now. Maybe I could. <laughs> so I can right. figure it out. Well, there's this man that's coming in. So this guy came in who's directing it, and he said that they'd hired an actor, unfortunately, when they got time to shoot this mattress commercial. He had a lisp. Well, the the department store didn't like that idea. So they went about to try to find a replacement. So I stood in front and recited the lines that were written out on a copy board can you do this tomorrow? And I said, yeah. He says, do you have a suit? I said, yes, I do. Powder blue (laughs) suit. I went to this um, studio in Baltimore. And then the next thing I know, they were trying to sign me to an exclusive contract. And I said, why? He says, well, we don't want you to work for anybody but us. So it worked, right? I ended I said, no. I said, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'll work for anybody who hires me. I ended up doing all kinds of things around D.C. at the same time still studying. I got together quite a demo reel. So when I hit New York, I hit the ground, what I thought I was hitting the ground running. But I have other stories about that that I can tell you. So, (laughs) But that was my basic start. And the start, though, was came from a a real connection with uh, the theater. But then all actors, you know, we don't just do one thing as you said i mean we're in whether it's that television film and theater we try to spread it out because we also have to make a living that's the answer to the first question <laughs> and I, that answer could actually last about 24 hours so you better <laughs> right. right on imdb it lists your first acting credit on screen as windy city yeah okay so how did that, uh, that part that, of it start? That was, yeah, that's one of those things that I was doing a play in Maryland and they were casting in uh, New York. The only reason I got the audition for that is because I ended up doing a commercial that ran nationally and the casting director named Diane Crittenden 
said, well, God, you know, if he can do that, he can probably do this. Mm-hmm. On the side, it took me over 80 auditions to get my first job in New York. That's what I tell students, because sometimes I teach students too. I was doing a play in Washington, D.C., and they said, uh, we'd like to see you. I was living in New York at that time. Mm-hmm. On my day off, I took a plane flight there, and I read with the director and uh, casting director. So they said, well, thank you very much. And then I, I started walking toward the elevator, and I said, well, okay, I get that probably didn't work. Just as the elevator doors were closed, casting assistant came running up to me and said, they want you to read a different part. And I said, okay. And then I went in and that worked. I think I went back four or five times. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting the part I never auditioned for. They just had to stick me. I think I wore them down. (laughs) They had to to stick me in the film. Well, once you get one thing like that, Mm -hmm. if you play your cards right, and if your agent plays your car, their cards right, you begin to develop this thing where Hollywood wants to see the next guy. Who is this guy now that's in this picture? Well, they would fly me to L.A. from New York to test for various things. And they don't. that's something that they really don't do that much of anymore. Mm-hmm. So I would screen test for different things. I remember my first series, television series, uh, was called Hot Pursuit. Yep. It starred me and Carrie King as a couple on the run from the law. She having been convicted of a murder she didn't commit, and I was her husband. Sort of a fugitive type of thing. And I got that really because I think I wore down Hollywood for about three months. I was living at the Chateau Marmont. I had auditioned for Don Johnson's role as every actor known Seem, it seems, on both coasts for Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. Didn't get it. Out of the blue came Hot Pursuit. I read for it a couple of times, ended up doing it. We shot the pilot in New Orleans. I became great friends with the producer, Ken Johnson, who was also executive producer and creator of Alien Nation. Mm. He and I have been friends for now, I mean, ever, forever. We had such a good time <laughs> working together. I was cast in the first film, and that's more or less a description of how I ended up in Hot Pursuit. Yeah, and then following that, you did three episodes in Hill Street Blues. I remember watching that show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, as Betty Thomas's love interest. Mm -hmm. Now, that was fun, because Betty Thomas is about six foot, I don't know, she's she's really, really tall, like six foot two or something. Mm -hmm. I loved doing that part, and I thought she was just super and i think i gave her her first screen kiss that's a funny story but when we acted together or we we were walking together i'm a a shade under five foot Mm ten so they put me up to be either level with her or slightly taller i was walking on a plank Wow. Sounds like uh, some of the tricks that they used yeah, they used uh, when they were filming The Hobbit because they had <laughs> Ian McKellen standing up on this thing while all the dwarves were down in this trench. Yeah. <laughs> so they looked shorter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it made me look enormous. <laughs> but I remember a director, when it came time to do this uh, sort of love scene, and we're sitting on the bed, and Betty was, I guess, getting touched up makeup-wise, and he came up to me and he said, Okay, so Eric, here's the deal. When you go into the kiss, keep kissing her and don't stop 
until I say cut. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, I'll try to do that. So they were trying to play a practical joke on her. We go into the clench, we kiss, and we kiss, and we kiss, and we kiss. <laughs> and no one's saying cut, right? And it goes on and on until she starts laughing and screaming. <laughs> and I can imagine whole, this course. long, drawn-out kiss oh, and God, yeah, I mean, giggling, and it just did just completely yeah, deteriorates yeah. from it, there. <laughs> it becomes a scene, a total comedic scene. Then <laughs> <laughs> that's the fun thing when you have a, a good crew and you have a lot of fun. The time goes. You normally, if you're like if you're starring in something versus you're a guest star. Guest star, you're kind of a hired gun. You go in and you do your thing and you go home. But they're stuck all the time, doing working, working and working these impossible hours. And if you're doing prosthetic makeup like either Star Trek or Alien Nation, mm-hmm. then your hours are crazy. And yeah, if you're spending you have, three to six hours in the makeup chair just yeah, by itself, there for trying two to get hours, it yeah. up. And an hour to get out of it. You're adding three hours to your day. I remember Gary Graham would come in. You know, I'd be there since like three thirty or four in the morning. He'd come in at six thirty and look at himself in the mirror, like, and just go, ah, "I'm ready." <laughs> you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and it, that was also fun stuff because uh, alienation. He and I laughed. If we do another show with you guys, uh, hopefully Gary can come too. But oh, no. we would laugh. We laughed all the time. We just had so much fun. In looking at invaders from Mars, several, 24 episodes of Fame, the TV series, 86 to 87. So to Beauty and the Beast, I love that show. I have it on DVD. Heat of the Night, an episode of that, episode of Heartland, great show from Canada. And that's when we get to Alien Nation, which I have on DVD. I love that show. I was so mad when they canceled it. Yeah, (laughs) I was like so upset I could hardly move. And that, <laughs> I was you know, so mad. But I was then, so happy when they brought us back to do the film movie. Finally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was because I actually have the original movie that it's based on, that the mm-hmm. series came from. Yeah. Did you guys ever watch that at the beginning? Yeah, I watched it uh, well before I knew, the year before it came out. And I was, I loved it. I mean, I just loved um, the whole concept. And. Mm-hmm. Both actors and Mandy, especially because I know that he went through such horrific uh, makeup issues, you find out uh, later. But the whole relationship thing and Ken Johnson called me up when they were getting ready to do this. He says, you know, I, I want you to take a look at this movie, Alien Nation. I said, I've seen it. He says, well, we're doing it. I'm going to produce it. Uh, written the pilot. I want you to be in it. Thought great, uh, fantastic. So I watched the movie and thinking he was going to offer me the James Con role. <laughs> and so I said, you know, Kenny, it's great. Yeah, James Con. Yes, I mean it's a great role. And he says, oh no, 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 no. I, I want you to play the alien. <laughs> I said, what? Yeah, I want you to play the alien. I, I want you to be George. Okay, let me see the movie again. <laughs> so. <laughs> I watched the movie again and I said, of course, of course I should do this because it would be so much fun to invent all these different aspects you could put into that character. And you can use so much. What I felt about it was you could use, I could use my training as a classical actor, British comedy, 
Shakespeare, whatever, you can compile a whole bunch of acting and technique that you've done. Because who's to say, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, importance of being earnest in there. There's a little bit of, you know, some Greek tragedy in there. You can go all kinds of different directions. He's an alien. Who cares? You know, you could figure it out. Something doesn't work. Tell me about it. But the, the way that you got to invent with the writers and, you know, they would come up and say, okay, here's the deal. It, we think it's going to take two males to impregnate a female. On this. I said, who wrote this? Did your wife read, write this one? I was like, this, yeah. okay, how are we going to do that? Well, on the, the directors would come in and, and they would kind of look at us and, and say, what do you think? And I said, and we would invent these uh, traditions just like on the spot, how you would react it, how you would play it, and how, mm-hmm. so it became a real collaboration and that's what made alienation so special is because when you're on the set for 16 hours a day and you get to invent that much mm-hmm. you feel incredibly satisfied as an artist as an actor plus we had a great family a family of actors whether it's just the alienation the francisco family or just the the crew and everyone just had mm-hmm. so much fun yeah, and one of the great things about Alienation, you guys got to create an entire civilization yeah. from their language, the culture, their traditions, even their biology. Sure. It was yeah. an extremely well fleshed out species, a people. And yeah, you Eric, could relate to them. Idea. Yeah, I know. Eric, we've got this great idea. You're going to have a baby. Okay. <laughs> All right. Of course. It is so funny because I was actually re-watching it again recently right as I'm like two-thirds of the way through the series Alex goes hey guess what I just talked to Eric Pierpoint we're gonna have him on there I'm like really (laughs) I'm watching the series right now it was so funny (laughs) Um, I actually have a really hilarious story this was back from in 2012 because I have it on DVD I was watching it. I was bored one day. I'm like, you know what? I've got movies and TV shows that I can watch that I love. I'm going to watch one of those. So I pulled out Alien Nation. I'm watching it just straight through. It's about 9.30 at night. This is at my old apartment. I get, it's like right in the middle of one of the episodes. I can't remember which episode it was. Occasionally gunfire in the show. I mean, it is a cop show after all. And right outside my because I'm sitting in my bedroom because I had TV in my bedroom. Right outside my bedroom window, 30-plus gunshots, actual gunshots, most of them 45s. Wow. Just a whole bunch of them stacked right on top of each other. It had to have been three or four or five people. First thing I do, I hear the gunfire. I hit the floor. Yeah. My father's errors. So, And the first thought that comes to my mind is, this is not interactive TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually planned that. <laughs> so that we can could have like a whole thing outside your apartment, wherever you are. Are you in New York? Where are you anyway? I'm actually in Washington State. Oh, okay. Uh, Tacoma, Pierce County. Yeah, I know Tacoma. Get on the phone with 911, talk to them. And I mean, it took like three or four times going through the information because it was, you know, drilled into my head. My father, like I said, was Air Force. His father was Army Air Corps. So, and plus my father did security 
armed security and my grandfather was volunteer deputy sheriff in Titusville wow in the 60s so and also worked for Boeing <laughs> it was a lot of fun very interesting family so of course you know certain protocols are sort of instilled in me is you do this 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 and this when this kind of thing happens so yeah. that's what I did mm. <laughs> it was an interesting night let me tell you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, of course uh... I called my mom and she's like are you okay and I'm like I'm fine it was just like and looking back on it now it's just the first thought that comes to my mind is that and it's just like wow <laughs> and I happened to be watching Alien Nation at the time <laughs> yeah there is this sort of weird otherworldly kind of aspect when you when something is real versus something you're, is not <laughs> Experience like that that happened in a restaurant in LA where I was at a, a bar, a really nice a Mexican restaurant. I was talking with a young director about his project. Guy came in and he was obviously troubled and was trying to pick fights. He was insulting everybody. He insulted the, the workers, the customers, and it was was crazy. And then he sat next to me, tried to make me his new best friend. It was rough because he tried to buy me a drink and I refused. And then he just took a whack and hit me in the chest. I was stunned. And I sat there and I went, huh, okay. Uh, so I told my friend, let's get up and go get a, a table, get out of here. And the guy stood up and he blocks my way. Where do you think you're going? And I said, you know, chill out. Just chill out, man. And so he grabs my hair and he's yanking my head up and down, screaming, chill out, chill out. Then I just, to another mode, found myself in a bar fight. I won, thank God. Uh, <laughs> cops came and everything. And I had gone to the, uh, the table and I was soaking my hands in ice because mm -hmm. they were puffed up and I had a little cut on my head. But I was okay and I was... And they had a guy, one of the waiters just stood by, anything you want, man. The, man, the owner says, anything you want, anything you want. And so I said, great. And he had like a bottle of tequila. He just kept pouring shots. <laughs> and then oh the cops goodness. came. Cops said, uh, we need to talk to you. He said, uh, uh, you know, you want to get the guy arrested? I mean, what's the story? And I said, you know, I just don't forget about it. I don't want that guy in my life and, and all. And he says, you're an actor, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He says, yeah, I recognize you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, you know, I played cops on TV. In fact, I played an alien cop. And he sort of laughed. And he said, it's different when it's real, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm looking at my hands. They're all puffed up and my head hurts. You know, I go, yeah, it is. You know, so I get it. But it is weird. Alienation downtown, I've had, like, people come up and when we're sometimes shot in really, really seedy sections of LA for the show to get that atmosphere. Yeah. There's a guy with a knife that came up to me and just started stabbing a milk carton and screaming at me. And one guy looked at me and said, you're the ugliest guy I ever seen. Not probably not knowing that I was in makeup. So, <laughs> and uh, I had a guy uh, just jump up and smack me in the head because it was like bopping the alien. It was interesting because, in a way, that was what that show was about yeah. in terms of that kind of prejudice. Yeah. And I have a great story for you. When I was doing a play in the year uh, 2000 in New York, 
go out to dinner sometimes after the play and I would I had to go uptown a little bit and then take a crosstown subway. So I was going in the uptown subway about, I don't know, one or two in the morning. And I was in, the, I got in the, the subway car. All right. You, I'm looking at all these faces and they're staring at me. I'm thinking, wow, do I feel like I'm in a fish out of water situation here? What's going on? And they kept staring at me, and most of them were African-American and Hispanic. In fact, I think I was the only white person on the subway car. So what happened was this woman next to me just said, you're that guy, aren't you? And I said, well, I said oh, I know what this is about. He says, yeah, you're that. You're, you, are, you, are you George? And I said, I, I said, I am George. And they all said, I thought he was George. I thought you're George. Well, it turned into one of those real fun moments when my subway stop came up and I said, oh, screw this. I'm having such a good time talking to everybody. I just, we went up for another 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to everybody about the show. They were telling me about how they felt about the show. And how they felt like they, particularly to them, mm -hmm. those are the great benefits you get from doing a, a show like that. And that's a rare yeah. thing that can happen. Each and every episode, it touches on all different kinds of subjects. And it goes into all kinds of different prejudices from racial discrimination to homophobia, because one of the episodes actually touched on homosexuality, dealing with different cultures and, and different kinds of people. And it was a great show. And a lot of people just really, really loved it. And they were so mad when it, yeah. when it went off the air, Be not just because there was this horrific cliffhanger that, oh, my God, is George's family going to die? Right, right. <laughs> Which was resolved the next movie, yeah. in the movie that followed. Yeah. But... Yeah. It was more than just the cliffhanger. It was the characters. It was the people. It was the stories. It was so engaging. It's great when you get to get involved with stuff like that. Yeah. Star Trek has been one of those that's, that does that, too. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, in the 60s, you know, when it came out, it was whole new territory. Touched on things like that, and it's a great way to do it because you can use aliens and planets to demonstrate all of what our strengths and weaknesses are as a people on this planet. So, Oh yeah. And no one gets offended that way. I remember distinctly cause I'm a second generation tracker. Thanks to my mom. I grew up watching it in the sixties. We're watching, there was one particular episode where you had these people that one side, they were split down the middle. One side was white. The other side right. was black. Yeah. There was this prejudice <clears throat> Between which side was what color? That's right. He was between white on the them, right and it was like whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they couldn't understand what the problem was, and he's like, right. "Well, duh." And yeah. then they're going, "Wow, okay." Yeah. <laughs> and know. that goes right straight into that sure. again. And <clears throat> speaking of that, you did an episode of Star Trek: Next Generation. I did um, all the different new shows. Mm-hmm. Yep. On Next Generation, I was the ambassador of love from the planet Iaria. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I, and I turned into a woman to mm -hmm. explore love with Picard. Mm -hmm. Turned yeah. into a, Barbara Williams was the actress who mm -hmm. uh, I turned into. So I was flattered that they chose her. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> and, and I was glad that I didn't personally have to kiss him. Because <laughs> well, nice man and everything, but you know. Yeah. And in between alienation, you did WIOU, mm-hmm. Nurses, Matlock, Forever Young. Right. Mel Gibson movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My job in Forever um, Young was to be beaten up by Mel for about three days. <laughs> Oh, but that was fun. <laughs> I had to jump on Jamie Lee Curtis, assault her, and then get beaten up by Mel, crash into a, a solid oak lamp. That was actually real. We were <clears throat> doing this fight, mock fight scene in the kitchen, and I was taking punches. I was, like I must have been the world's worst boxer, fighter, whatever, because I never landed a glove on him, a hand. And he just his job was basically just to smack me around and I was taking these punches, fake punches. The final punch, I had to throw myself back and then land on the ground. Well, my head hit this solid wooden lamp so hard that the bulb burst. Yes. I got up, sort of dinged and, you know, and staggered out. And the yeah. director said, that was great. Can you do it again? And it's like... No. <laughs> it's like, no, I just smacked I my head on a solid oak thing. Going out of my no. Head. My eyes are crossed. And the stuntman was oh there. God. Stunt coordinator oh. was there. He just hit his head with a, yeah, it was great. Can, can we get another bulb? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, and they say acting is the safest profession. Is this is proof or otherwise? Well, no, well, it's not. <laughs> over my career, I've done some really fun stunts, like galloping on a thoroughbred horse in hot pursuit, jumping on a moving mm-hmm. train, all the fight scenes, all the stunts that I tried to do. And, and now I'm at that point in my career where they wouldn't let me do it. And not only that, they probably someone in their 60s is not really going to have another fight scene. We may be the commanding officer that put an end to whatever's going on. Like mm-hmm. you're playing a general, an admiral, or this or that. Right. All the stud roles where you're going to do your own stunts and things like that, or you're playing the bad guy and you're going to do. There are stuntmen to do all that now. And you you just go through what you do and you sell it. And then the stuntman takes over. I don't know if they would have in this day. They probably would if I if they knew I was really, really comfortable on a horse. Let me gallop it along. But in the old days, they just let you do it. Mm-hmm. When I was riding in hot pursuit, they wanted me to gallop this horse, hold the reins in one hand, and reach around to try to feel the horse's pulse in his neck, right at his throat. The other hand, they said, do you think you could do that? And I said, yeah, sure. Then I had to figure out how to do that <laughs> uh, because yeah. I'd never done that before. I was practicing on the on the double, the other horse, while they were filming long helicopter master shots with stuntman. I was bouncing around. I never really got comfortable, but then it came time to get on the real deal, the real, you know, the $250,000 Arabian. When I did that, and at first it was sort of like, oh, am I going to be able to pull this off? And the stuntman said, look, if you don't, if it doesn't work, if you can't do it, then what we'll do is we'll just use the stuntman, we'll change the shot. And we'll just have you get off the horse in a really, really good way. <laughs> like, I don't know, do a, do something special with it. I said, no, I really think I can do it. And then I felt myself get really comfortable on that horse. 
And that horse had gears. In fact, I put one of my novels, which is called The Last Ride of Caleb O'Toole, uh-huh. part of the horse race that I put in there was based on that experience. I, that horse had gears where you just squeeze with the knees and it would go faster. You squeeze again and it would hit another gear and another gear and another gear until the point where it would just flatten out tail in the wind and head down and just really hauling butt. It was so smooth that I got my main problem was outrunning the camera truck all the time. So <laughs> they would, I would have to Oops. go back to the starting point and Kenny Johnson would say, Eric, okay, let the camera truck get going first. We're going to get going and then you go and then we'll try to line it up that way. We managed to make it work out and that clip yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can actually find on YouTube. And I didn't know that, but someone pointed it out to me and I said, yep, that's me hauling butt on this wonderful horse to get this shot. It was such a fun day. I mean, it was a total thrill. Yeah. Okay. After Forever Young, you did time an episode of Time Tracks. That and was then... shot in Australia. That was fun. Yeah. So, okay. Comparative difference, filming in the U.S. versus filming in Australia. The You know, the result, uh, basically the same, but in Australia... Usually you have your unions are different, probably, and your crews are smaller and there's people kind of overlapping and doing different jobs. And here, if you're going into the studio, the unions are so tight that only certain people can do certain things. You have enormous uh, to film uh, in the U.S. You've got an army unless you're doing a really, really low budget picture with. But by and large, if you're at a studio, then. You're not going, a crew member is not going to be doubling up doing other things. They have, it's very well set out. It's different, uh, different over there. But Canada is pretty much the same, I think, uh, as the U.S. Mm-hmm. I've shot in Vancouver uh, before. It was a great experience. And, and I don't think, I think for that kind of show, I don't think not missing a third of the, what would have normally been an American crew didn't really matter that much. It seems more a little bit more freeform in that in that way. Yeah, yeah. Not quite so. so rigid. Yeah, but that's what unions are. I mean, they, <laughs> it's you got to uh, respect whatever it is. I mean, I, the guys that I've worked with over the years, you know, whether it's directors or gaffers or sound guys, and you know, they're like family. So it's a fun thing to work with people you've worked with before. In fact. There was a, a script supervisor that worked with, uh, worked on Alien Nation, the movies. And when I was doing a show called Heart of Dixie, which is more recent, I walk on and there she is. I go, Petra, how you doing? She's great. I'm so glad you're here. All right. So we spend a couple of years doing a number of those shows. And this past spring, I get uh, hired to Admiral Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff on a show that did not get picked up, which was called uh, Four Stars. It's going to be, it's a CBS pilot. Uh, last week or this past week, they decided not to pick it up for a series, which is a bummer because that would have been a nice recurring role, probably. But there she was on that one. Series too. You know? In 93, apparently uncredited role uh, in Sex, Love, and Cold Hard Cash TV movie. Don't know why that would be uncredited, but I think it was, that was a fun film that was done by one of the writers on uh, two of them actually on hot pursuit and they were also producers on fame oh. uh, yeah 
uh, Harry and Renee Longstreet. And I think Harry wrote that one. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And getting to work with them again because you sure. were oh, yeah. on those other two projects. Yeah. And then you did, like I said, the next-gen episode, Liaisons, mm-hmm. and then Children of the Dark. Yes, wow. another TV movie about a – I remember that as being a, a, about a young child who I think had some sort of medical issue about not being uh, uh, being blind or something. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes I can't remember exactly what the plot was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and then that's when Dark Horizon, Alien Nation, uh, mm-hmm. right after that. And then you did an episode of Party of Five. Mm-hmm. And then Murder, She Wrote. Oh, yeah. And then a, f- a film called the a couple of films called The Stranger and Midnight Man. Yeah, both independent films. Mm-hmm. The Stranger was we shot that in the desert uh, in Nevada. It was one of those um, uh, movies where uh, my fiance is attacked and killed and whatever, and then you have this. Woman comes in on a motorcycle to this dusty town. Turns out to be the reincarnation of my dead fiance. She kicks butt on the guys who did it. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Midnight Man was a, a fun one. Another independent playing kind of a loose cannon cop on that one. That was fun, too. Mm, okay. And then back to Alien Nation with Body and Soul and Millennium. Mm-hmm. And then Where the Truth Lies in 96. And then right. Driven. Two more independent films, films. yeah, right. I Uh, love independent films. They're so they tend to be so rich. Yeah, they like driven. Yeah, like uh, driven was um, written by a guy, uh, Michael uh, Shoup, who did a wrote basically sort of almost like um, a retrospective on his days as a cab driver. That was a fun shoot. And then what was the one you mentioned right before that? That was Uh, where truth. Like, yeah, with uh, John Savage and uh, Malcolm McDowell, played a very bad guy who uh, <laughs> <laughs> who was a lawyer. Not that they're all bad. But... <laughs> There's some really good lawyers. Yeah, out there. some of them not so good. <laughs> a murdering uh, lawyer who, who murdered his best friend's wives. Oh and, my goodness! Yes. Oh. And, yeah. So. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the roles that you end up with, it's like you go literally from one spectrum to the other. And and if you can actually keep that so that you can branch out and actually challenge yourself. I love seeing that. Yes. Because when when actors end up getting pigeonholed into just one type or or just one or two things, it drives me crazy because it's like you're not challenging them. You're not giving them the ability to branch out and show what they can do and i love yeah. to see that because yeah. then it really showcases their skills as an actor and as a performer and as a storyteller mm-hmm. i love seeing that and then back to alienation again with it, the enemy within mm-hmm. and then little witches <laughs> another independent <laughs> film by the producer of a couple of earlier films that i did including the stranger i believe little witches was this sort of okay mm-hmm. That, I think that was the era where I was playing a lot of sheriffs. So yeah. was, I think I was the sheriff and, and stranger and then sheriff and little witches. And, you know, and some of these I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Like little mm-hmm. witches. I don't believe I ever saw it. Hmm. So well, I, some, some I have people have 
yeah, some some actors have have difficulty watching their own stuff because they they get it's like oh you know because <laughs> yeah. they they don't like their own performances, well, <laughs> and yet everybody I, else loves it. <laughs> I, just, I think I just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. back to science fiction with Star Trek Deep Deep Space Nine in yes. an episode for the uniform, Captain right. Sanders, yep. Yep. and then to comedy, Liar Liar. Yes, Liar Liar which I think is Jim Carrey's best movie, in my own opinion about that. Uh, I thought he kind of reached his peak in terms of his comedic style. I remember shooting that, and I and actually before we shot it, and they said, you know, Eric, they want to see you for this part. It's a small part, but it's important, and all of this. And I was moving during that time, and I thought, ah, you know, I've got to move. I'm, you know moving to this place in Topanga, this house. I got to, no, Eric, you've got to do it. You got to, you know, go do it. Then I spent off and on because uh, we were calling him on production then off because Jim had gone off to, I think, get married and come back or, but we spent all this time in the courtroom. It was so hard not to constantly crack up what he was doing. And he was trying so hard to make sure that we were, that we, you know, to crack us up. The challenge was to play the straight guy. And you're playing the straight man. You really, the difficulty with something like that is that you want to be the one to make people laugh. If everyone's trying to make people laugh, then nothing's funny. Tom, the director, uh, I asked him that question. And I said, ah, I feel like I, I want to do something. He says, no, I know what you're thinking. No, don't do it. <laughs> don't. No, let, let Jim do Jim. And uh, everyone else, we got to figure out how to this. And I thought they did a great job mm-hmm. with that that film. And that film is, I, it's, it's sort of the one that I constantly see. It's always playing somewhere on cable, whatever. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a yeah, funny movie. And then back again to George Francisco with the Udara legacy. Right, right. Right after that. And then a, a film called Steel. The movie should never happen. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal. Yes. yes. He's such a nice guy. I mean, he was so larger than life in so many ways, but such a fun man in spite of all of I mean, the pressure, I guess, of, of just being like seven foot two and everybody wants a piece of you, you know, uh-huh. I was, I had a young man I was mentoring from the Big Brother Association. Uh-huh. Of course, he wanted to go meet Shaq. I got permission to have him come in as I was shooting that day. You can come on um, and you can get him to autograph something, but, you know, just a, a couple things or whatever. So I pick him up and he's got this enormous sack of so many things he wanted Shaq to sign. I said, okay, we get on the uh, set in the studio. Uh, this was also uh, directed, written, directed by Ken Johnson, who's Alien Nation mm-hmm. and Hot Pursuit. So it was going to be a fun thing and go in and do this uh, one particular part. Young Dejan goes up to, to Shaq and says, uh, brings out one of the things like a basketball he wanted him to sign. And so Shaq would just kind of like point at him and says, okay, I'll do this one. And in two hours, you can give me another one. <laughs> it, it was parceled out. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He was a good guy. He sounds like a great guy. And then 
You went on from there to an episode of Nash, Nash Bridges. Right up, up to San Francisco. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then to a series I dearly love, Babylon 5. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The scene with Garibaldi. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that scene. It's yeah, so funny. I, you know, I wanted to, I got to find that scene from someplace. I got, it's, prob- it's on YouTube. It's oh, on is YouTube. It? Yeah, we can link you to it, and it's it's so funny. It is. I didn't know it was you until she told me. I'm like, you got bombed? Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny. I love that. I love that show. And then he went on to do Ally McBeal, Mm -hmm. an episode of that, and then ER, Mm -hmm. and then eight episodes of Silk Stockings. Oh, yep. Had a recurring role on there for a while. Yeah, as uh, Mitzi's uh, love interest in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And then an episode of The Pretender. Great show. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then Beverly Hills 90210 in 99. Mm-hmm. And then an episode of Sliders. Love mm-hmm. that show. The whole sci fi thing back to Star Trek Voyager. Ah, uh, yeah. Episode Barge of the Dead. That was a cool episode um, to play a Klingon. Of course, if you're doing Star Trek, you should be playing a Klingon at some point, don't you think? Right. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> right. And I remember, God, what a. I think I shot on a Friday. I had to do a convention on a Saturday and Sunday in Baltimore and then get back on the set early to get put into Klingon makeup at. Oh gosh, I guess three or, or two. I think my call time was two forty-five a.m. The plane had landed at midnight because they had some mechanical problems in Baltimore. So I just went, I with no sleep, straight to the set to get myself put into a Klingon makeup, and then to then shoot more than twenty-four hours because they had back-ended the first day of the next episode to the last day of this one, and they had to shoot this one out, and they couldn't go over. So they, we just shot it until the last shot was done, and we were on a what's called a poor man's process, where you're on the barge, and they're making the barge move with these levers. In fact, I'm looking on my desktop and my computer right now. There's a, uh, a photograph of this. Mm-hmm. And so we shot, and I was exhausted, and it came time, okay, we wrapped. I get in the car for the drive home. I tell this story a lot because it's pretty funny. The cops pull me over, uh, and it was, I don't know, 3 in the morning or something the next day. My cop says, uh, I pulled you over for weaving. He says, have you been drinking? And I said, no, I've been a Klingon. And <laughs> he said, what? I said, I've been shooting. I've been a Klingon forever it seemed i'm exhausted and i had actually my script uh with me and i pointed that out and i i was still had like pieces of makeup hanging off my face and on my this black t-shirt that they give you and the guy says okay he says follow my finger so i'm looking at his finger and he says he says all right i can't give you a ticket for driving while klingon and He says, can you get home okay? And I, I said, yeah, he says, there's a, you know, there's a hotel right over there. And I said, I just got another 20 minutes. I swear I can get home okay. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
funny. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is hilarious. And it's really cool you got to play a Klingon. They're actually my favorite uh, Star Trek race. I think you and just have to, much. you know, you have to. I, I tell you, one time it was it was very funny that um, I did a convention, and it was, again, back in uh, Baltimore, a different year. Mm -hmm. Just a horrific snowstorm, a blizzard. Mm -hmm. and we were at this hotel, and we were, did the usual autographs and signings and put you up for a couple of nights, and then supposed to get on a plane. Well, everything was shut down. Oh, my goodness. All the guys... And the, and the women who showed up in costume, in makeup, the fans, right? And they love to do this. Oh, they're yeah. Klingons or they're Star Wars characters or they're this or that. And their bar really looks like a Star Wars bar because <laughs> you're drinking. <laughs> yeah, they're buying you drinks and they're in costume, right? So you feel like you're Harrison Ford there. You're, you know, in civilian uh, clothes and they're all dressed up and you're just talking to them like this is the most normal thing in the world. Well, <laughs> they had to then, no one could drive anywhere. Right. So these people were stuck in their costumes for like three days. Oh my goodness. And it was rough because and raw after a while <sighs> because nothing smelled good anymore. <laughs> you you kind of go, the only thing to do, the only place you could go was the bar. You get there and you just kind of go in and they were running out of food and the National Guard was out and all of this. But it was oh, really goodness. something when you've got, there's a Wookiee buying you a drink. So <laughs> Welcome to Moss Eisley. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> it's hysterical. You gotta love the fans for it, because when you do get into costumes like that and makeup and stuff, you, it, you get a new appreciation for what the actors go through, and the yeah. actors, of course, appreciate what the fans go through to get dressed up just like your characters. Sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wow. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I've, mm -hmm. like I said, I've always loved the Klingons. Somebody actually asked me, okay, if Klingons are your favorite uh, Star Trek race. Describe them in 10 words or less. Pissed off spacefaring Celtic bikers with ridges. <laughs> <laughs> is what I came up with. A lot of people seem to really like that description, yeah. and it fits. <laughs> it does fit. Yeah. Uh, following Voyager, you did seven an episode of Seven Days. Mm -hmm. That was a good show. Time travel show. What's yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Touched by an Angel. And... Right couple episodes of diagnosis murder mm -hmm. and jag right it's a good show and then mr sterling oh right uh mr sterling the executive producer was lawrence o'donnell of msnbc mm -hmm. and he um uh this was um josh brolin i believe they hired me to play uh to be his sort of competition, uh, he was forced into, I guess, the Senate when another senator died, and so he kind of took over, and then there was supposed to be this election. Mm -hmm. I was going to run against him, and they gave me a problem. The problem was I was – my girlfriend on the show was an ex-adult film star, and that was going to be how they were going to take me down. They actually – I didn't know this. I uh, didn't know her. Uh, probably one of the few men on the planet who didn't know her, they hired Jenna Jameson. Hmm. And 
Jenna was like the most famous and successful adult film actor uh, and producer around. I remember seeing the call sheet. The call sheet was like Eric Pierpoint as Chuck Stanley, Jenna Jameson as Jenna Jameson. And I'm thinking, well, that's weird. Why did they keep her name for the same character? I don't get it. I'm on the set, my dressing area. And next to me was Jenna Jameson character. And so I thought, wow. You know, I'll introduce myself. So this uh, dark-haired woman comes out, and I said, Hi, I'm, I'm Eric Pierpoint. I'm playing Chuck Stanley. Are you Jenna? And she goes, Oh, no, no, I'm Jenna's assistant. And I said, Why does she have an assistant? I don't have an assistant. Why does she have an assistant? <laughs> and then out walks Jenna Jameson, or, you know, down the ladder, and she's this blonde. And I, she said, Yeah, I'm Jenna. I said, Well, well that's it. You know, so Jenna, a- answer this for me. What? Why are you also called Jenna Jameson in real life and you're Jenna Jameson on the show? She says, well, I'm Jenna Jameson. Okay, let me back up here. Okay, I know you're Jenna Jameson, but do they just like your name? No, I'm Jenna Jameson. So I'm thinking, what am I missing here? She says, I'm an adult film star. And I said, oh, for real? (laughs) And she said, yes. Well... When we got on the set, you would have thought that the crew was looking at, I don't know, Meryl Streep or somebody because they kept coming up and fawning all over her. Guys were giving her their numbers. I would really like to work with you. Mm. It was pretty nuts. And she was an actual real sweetheart. Uh, I didn't realize it about the most famous woman on the planet, at least on that set. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And then you did a movie, the movie Hero, as right on oh. the heels of that. Yeah, I think that was called the movie Hero. Yeah, the movie okay. Hero, Blake's dad. Mm-hmm. You're Blake's dad in that one. And mm-hmm. then you played another sheriff in a <laughs> film called Holes. <laughs> oh, Holes. <laughs> Holes is great. You know, when I do my book tours, um, you know, because mm-hmm. I write historical fiction, what I call action adventure historical fiction. I go to uh, schools all over the country and I do presentations for grades like mainly fourth to sixth grade. Right. And one of the things I always ask them, and I I do a PowerPoint presentation with slides of me as various characters and stuff at first and get them to have fun. And I always ask them, how many of you either read or seen the movie Holes? And they all have. Mm. They, it's like one of the most popular and one of the best, uh, I would say, more middle reader books out there. When I was playing the sheriff, uh, even here in Topanga, when the real estate agents found out I was doing it and they had kids, they would drive their kids around to see my house because that's where the sheriff lived. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. Yeah. Did Strong Medicine, played a Mm -hmm. doctor in that one. Right. And then Remembering Charlie. Uh oh. It's a TV movie there. Ben Hallmark or something. Yeah, I think so. And then Eulogy. Mm-hmm. And then an episode of Crossing Jordan, Fire mm-hmm. in the Sky. Uh, As a fireman in that. That was that was the fire chief year. Mm-hmm. I think I did three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, it looks like it. After that, you did Messiah, uh, mm-hmm. a short. Mm-hmm. 
played Abbott, and then CSI Miami Fire Chief Kyle Donaldson in the episode Nothing yep. to Lose. So mm-hmm. There's another one. Right. And then you had a several episodes on Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, the first episode on Enterprise was as an alien on mm-hmm. a, I guess it was the Dark Planet. We were Rogue uh, Planet. Hunt, yeah. yeah, hunting intelligent game. Uh, then they hired me to play actually a human agent, and um, I think I did a number, you know, half dozen or so. Yeah, four, four Harris, episodes yeah. is Harris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get to be? I don't because I don't remember Enterprise. I watched it, but I don't remember if Saval was in any of those episodes. Which oh, Gary. Was, yeah. Uh, not with me. I think he. Paths didn't cross for whatever reason. Probably, probably for plot reasons. We didn't. You know, that would have been fun. <laughs> oh, I, I. Yeah, you know, well to do imagined. something. Okay, you're. Yeah, but you know what, Gary? You only have ears. Your whole head isn't covered. In <laughs> well, ears in a wig. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but you know that's how long did that take? Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It would have been really cool if you you were playing a human and he's playing an alien. It's like, well, now there's a total role reversal for you. <laughs> Turns out it's fair play. Revenge is sweet. Oh. Right. <laughs> so this time it says some Garrett be lifting you up in the air. Yeah, <laughs> Tossing you like, Yeah, because Vulcans are said to be stronger than humans, just okay. like the Tanktonese yeah. were. <laughs> <laughs> After that, you did World's Fastest Indian. Yes. Oh, yeah. The motorcycle movie with Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we shot on the bon- on the salt flats for several weeks. Yeah. Oh, I'll bet that was warm. <laughs> it was. It totally was. <laughs> that was very warm. And then the uh, looks like the first episode of Surface. Oh, yeah. Right. They, I guess that was the pilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the year uh-huh. of, I think I was military admiral on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Admiral Phil Vary. Mm-hmm. And then medium, and then commander in chief. Right. Good series. Too bad they didn't last. Yeah, time. that that uh, I I thought that was going to run longer. That would have been a fun one to be on for a while. Yeah. During that time, they got hit with that writer strike. Yeah, I guess it was. Uh, you know, it's funny what makes it and what doesn't make it. You know, sometimes yeah. they don't give shows very long to work it out. Uh, uh, sometimes they can change the concept of the show and maybe that doesn't really, you know, grab the audiences. I mean, it's tough. Uh, there's a lot of competition out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then four weeks, four hours. Mm -hmm. Another indie indie. Yeah. Yep. And TV virus. Right. And then brothers and sisters TV series. And then murder one one if wishes were horses. Right. Couple episodes of Big Love, mm-hmm. and then CSI. Okay, episodes. that was interesting because uh, I think I was selling bull semen on the black market. I forgot. About okay. now, I'm telling you. Well, I, when you've got high-end animals, that it's the it's a premium to get breeding. Yeah. For these animals, and this happens with horses, especially high-end thoroughbreds, selling the animal sperm on the black market can, you know, and not only can it get you in serious amount of trouble, 
in the short term, it can get you quite a bit of money, and it's yeah. not unheard of. No, I'm obviously with yeah, prize they, prize animals. They figured that out, and um, I was uh, spent a week wandering around in a cowboy hat, which caused all the stunt people to think that they'd all worked with me before. I because I have that kind of cowboy thing, mm -hmm. uh, you know. So they were convinced that they had, and then and as we were filming this in Las Vegas, they had the actual a bull riding event there. We were. You know, I was trying to strap in the younger actor into his bull. That was me. And then actual bull riders who needed helping hand. One of them came up to me and he says, I need you to help me. And I go, I, I'm an actor. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You don't want me to be responsible for making that you're the <laughs> everything that you're tied in right. Because I could just see something really wrong happening with that. And then when it came time to do like the getting picking getting this bull sort of like okay we got to get this bull ready to give us a sample and then i have this like probe this actual probe they use that is supposed to get you what you need at the back end of the bull the director said okay you're what you're probably going to do here is you're going to take this lube and lube this <laughs> this giant probe while you're oh doing the scene, God. right? Okay, so then my friends all start weighing in about how they saw this episode and how my and the direction of my career. <laughs> oh God! It was hysterical. It's come oh, to this, Eric. Oh, no. I mean, I so some anyway. of the things you got to do for your craft. It's just... <laughs> Actor, wow. come on. I don't yep. actually perform brain surgery. I'm just pretending here, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you did McBride Requiem mm -hmm. as a senator in that one. Mm -hmm. And then in Solar Flare, again as a senator. Okay. And then an episode of 11th Hour. Mm -hmm. And then you were in... Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen is an NSA okay, officer. Okay, right. well, we we need to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh oh, okay, uh oh. I wasn't in the first one. I was in the second one. Yep. Except, okay, so Michael Bay, uh, mm -hmm. the director, he looked at a bunch of actors for different things at the beginning when he was doing his casting. He had his major roles done, then he had supporting roles that he was looking at, and a couple months after I had auditioned for something and thinking I didn't uh, get it, I get the call. Well, they've created a new role. This role is the head of the NSA. Just they're going to shoot it tomorrow. So you don't have time for wardrobe. So can you just grab a suit and go down to the set, which is down the Long Beach area, I guess it was. So go down there. They're going to give you the script when you get down there. It's just one scene, so it'll work out fine. Well, I get down there, and everybody's moving everything all over the place, and everything is kind of moving fast, and they built this set for me. I went in to do it, and, and it's basically just talking on the phone to somebody who's in trouble with the trans all the Transformers and everything and saying, should we do a missile launch or something like that? Mm -hmm. And so I do it, and it comes time to, I don't know, three months pass, yeah, this is what happened. Three months pass. They're still working on this one movie, but they're probably overlapping the third movie. I'm not sure. Uh -huh. 
I get the call from my agent. The agent says, they want you to go down and audition for uh, the role of a uh, like a CNN reporter. And I go, wait, uh, but I already did the movie as this other character. Oh, oh. Well, casting is calling for you in particular because, you know, Michael Bay, I said, just go down. So I go down there and I'm talking with casting and I said, you know, I don't know if this is going to go over real well when you tell, if you cast me as this and then you have to tell Michael and I that he's already done the movie. I even casting said when I said, you know, I've already done the movie and they were kind of like baffled. You did? I go, yes, I did. Oh, gosh, because it was such a big show and they were hiring so many different people. Mm-hmm. Well, OK, so that didn't work out. I'd already was in the show. But then when it came time to see the movie, I get a call and they says, yeah, I think you were in the movie. I mean, you're you're in the credits. I go, oh, OK. All right. So I go and I'm and I'm looking at watching the movie, watching the movie. There's all of this action. Transformers are tumbling around all over the place. Everything's getting blown up get to the end of the movie and I go, God, what, what happened? Did I black out in the middle of this? Because I don't remember <laughs> seeing myself. Yeah. Okay. So no, I, and I go, I guess, it, but I'm in the credits. Well, maybe they cut the scene. Okay. So then Transformers three comes out. I get a call from somebody. Oh yeah. I just saw you in Transformers three. I went, what? I said, I didn't do Transformers three. Well, you're in it. <laughs> How am I in it? Okay, well, go. So there I am. I'm, I'm now I'm got my popcorn. And I'm looking about two thirds of the way into the movie. I see my face on a giant screen, and I went, "Holy crap! I'm in the movie. How did that happen?" <laughs> well, they what they was they they took a piece of a reaction shot that they that I had done to make it fit in with the, whatever the chaos was in the third movie. So I'm thinking, hang on, well. Can they do that? So I call Screen Actors Guild. I explain the situation. And they say, well, they really should pay you for the third movie because you're in it, right? I said, yeah. It's just, well, go in with a stopwatch or a watch and tell us the exact minute and second after the movie starts, after the opening credits that, that you're in it, and then we'll investigate. So there I am again watching the movie. There I am. Okay, it's whatever one hour and 47 minutes in or whatever it was. So then they called production and production said, oh, yeah, we, yeah, you're right. We forgot about that. So it is interesting what happens. Sometimes you you work and maybe whatever you're doing doesn't make the movie. It gets cut for what editing reasons. Well, I think if you're doing sequels, they can stick something in there and the, you know, whatever they need from it, if they can right. make it work somewhere. But yeah. it was a bizarre experience, to say the least. <laughs> it's like, I didn't do that. Was I in that? Did I do that? Did I, did I black out while I was doing the movie? You know, <laughs> well, at least you got paid for it, didn't you? Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the good thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. And then following Revenge of the Fallen, you did Nothing Special mm-hmm. on a film. And then a short called The Place of Light, or Palace of Light, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And then A Soldier's Love Story TV movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You played a congressman in Sex Tracks Based on a True Story in 2010. Mm-hmm. 
an episode oh, yes. of that was fun. I, I wish yeah. that opened in theaters because that was a lot of fun. Sex tax the movie, kind of like a National Lampoon kind of a thing. <laughs> Funny, that, yeah. And then you did an episode of The Mentalist. Great show. Phil Cobb's Dinner for Four. Right. And The Cape. Right. I want that show for a second season. I'm upset when it got canceled. Well, yeah, I was blown up. I was playing the chief of police, and they blew me up in like the first five minutes. Yep, in the pilot. Mm-hmm. And then Donner Pass. Oh, yes, I ate Pioneers in that one. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's another thing I'd tell the school kids. I go, you ever heard of Donner Pass? And sometimes they've studied it and whatever. And I said, well, in this thriller, you see me in flashbacks of killing my fellow pioneers and stringing them up and eating them. It was something to do. Come on. I was hungry. Yeah. It tastes just like chicken. So <laughs> <laughs> Did 10 episodes of Chemistry. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. Um, oh, I hear a story oh. coming. <laughs> okay, here's another one of those stories where this was a, it's still on, it still runs on HBO sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, or what they call um, Syndication. Uh, Cinemax HBO. There's some, the nickname for it is Skinemax. <laughs> uh, and it was very, for uh, obvious reasons. <laughs> you know, sexy show with a lot of nudity in it. Not me. I remember getting the call for that. I think it was like a Friday, and I went to read for it. Uh, I didn't have a script. That They cast me, and they said, are you going to work on Monday? And I had no script. And finally, they sent me three scripts online, and I'm reading the first one, and I'm going, wow, this, this is, can they do this? I mean, I don't know. This seems really, really risque. And this person's naked, and now this person's naked. I get down there. <laughs> Chad Everett is there. Mm -hmm. And I say to Chad, I, I said, hey, how you doing, man? He says, I introduced myself. I said, so, Chad, uh, what'd you think when you when you read the script? And he says, I'm just glad to be working. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, Sally Kellerman. But then I see a few actors wandering around in bathrobes. I go into a uh, wardrobe and I see like G-strings and stuff. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. Get a hold of, I'm talking with the head of wardrobe, and she says, no, 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 don't worry about it. You're not going to get naked. I'm saying, well, first of all, good. And second of all, uh, if I have, if I am, uh, you better call my agent. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like real quick and find out, you know, how much money that might be. But it was fun. I'd, I'd worked with, like, a couple of the crew members were crew members from Silk Stockings from years ago. So I, I basically played a alcoholic head of a law firm my two daughters were i guess both of them were were fairly i mean very very nice and very very sexy actresses who had to do a lot of nudity uh -huh. where i went wrong in my life raising them i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was fun it, it lasted a, a year and you can uh you can cruise uh, around on on skinamax uh, late at night, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, you did three episodes of Parks and Recreation. Oh, that was fun. Chief of Police. But that those guys were, they were so much fun uh, to work with. And that was also the year where I was doing three shows at the same time. It was uh, Parks and Rec, 
I was doing um, Heart of Dixie and also an episode of Workaholics. Workaholics, thank you. I, in the space of like one month on TV, I think three of them aired. I was retired on Parks and Recreation. I was given a heart attack on Heart of Dixie and set on fire in Workaholics. And I thought, okay, what are they trying to tell me? What are they trying to tell me? What? What? (laughs) Wow. Go back to writing your novel, Eric. We're going to kill you, give you a heart attack, set you on fire, whatever. (laughs) I feel bad for you. Wow. (laughs) And, of course, you mentioned Heart of Dixie. There's seven episodes of that that you did. Alcoholics. You also did Farmed and Dangerous, four episodes of that. That was a a Chipotle uh, campaign where Chipotle uh, was – they were doing episodes, sort of comedic episodes about – their process. And I played a guy who, <laughs> who was a, uh, a rancher who was raising, feeding his cattle food made out of uh, petroleum products. And, oh my goodness. and it was sort of like the anti Chipotle. Uh, they were doing sort of reverse advertising with that. Uh-huh. My cows, the problem, if you got close to them and you, and you know, talked on your cell phone, they had a tendency to blow up it was oh, different things. Like that was, that was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like last year, you did an episode of Wicked City. Wicked City, my episode, okay, the the last couple things that I've done have been, uh, Wicked City was a series about a serial killer, and it only lasted, I think, two or three episodes. Mm-hmm. It got off the air before my episode aired. Uh, yeah, I was really bummed because I was playing the grandfather in a flashback of the serial killer. And you found out kind of why the serial killer was so screwed up. <laughs> that I, I kind of wish that had aired because then this sort of uh, abusive grandfather who was a horrible, raised his daughter, the serial killer's mother, and sort of tied the plot all together. Uh-huh. thing that I did, as I said before, uh, this, uh, this was a, a show called Four Stars. And we just found out that that did not get picked up. And that that is uh, that's disappointing. So it was a CBS show, a pilot. Uh, they made the decision. So the lineup, they may, uh, who knows, maybe they'll pick it up as a midseason replacement or something. Uh, yeah, because it's listed here as a TV movie in pre-production for, tw- mm-hmm. for this year. So I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't, you don't really know where they go because this is a I believe a one hour uh pilot uh so they probably listed it in a certain way i'm not sure why but yeah. shows like that if they don't get it the first time around sometimes they get it the second time around you just yeah. uh depends and that that show what it's about is uh, four stars refers to two generals four star generals and the, each one one has a son and one has a daughter they are also in the military the firefight in afghanistan or Iraq or someplace and trying to figure out how to get them out and they're they're romantically involved and so they mm-hmm. have to go to the president to find out what they're going to do and they have to get to the president they have to go through the chairman joint chiefs which is me I think that would have been a fun uh, recurring role and it may still be we don't know yet 
this point. Yeah, I think it'd be it'd be a great series to to put on there. I think a lot of people would really get into it because especially yeah, when you've got things like have... CSI and JAG right. and some, yeah. and a lot of these others. Yeah, that people and just love them. And the entire generation now uh, knows about war, and the younger generation is now fighting yeah. over there. So, you yeah, know, it's, it's, got, it's got possibilities. So we'll see. Maybe it'll yeah. maybe it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. So in all of this that you've done, you've also mentioned as theater as well. Do you have any upcoming either on screen or on stage projects that you are able to kind of mention that Took might be coming up? <laughs> huh? Uh, well, that the, the last thing, of course, it was the four stars. That was what I was going to try to promote. But mm -hmm. you can't promote something that is does not have an air date. So that doesn't right. work. My last stage performance was The Lion in Winter, which uh, mm. was something I'd been wanting to do for a long time. I had that play bedside for a couple of years and ended up doing that. So right now, after meeting a couple of meetings this week on shows, one show or uh, shoots in Vancouver and the other shoots in South Carolina, we don't know the result of those meetings yet. There was something that I'm reading this weekend. I don't know if that's going to work out uh, so I can't really promote any of them yet. Right. But so I'm back to, it's going to be back to doing research, fleshing out my third uh, novel. The books are, they're out, out there, out and running. Tell us a little bit about your books and how you got started writing them. Kind of a little bit of a background. Yeah, sure. Uh, my first book is called The Last Ride of Caleb O'Toole is uh, what I call sort of inspirational action-adventure historical fiction, if you can wrap your mouth around that. <laughs> this was a result, the, the way I wrote the book, uh, I'd written a version of it originally as a screenplay that the Hallmark Channel was interested in doing and developing with uh, Star Entertainment. I was developing this with Star Stars, and then Hallmark pulled the plug on doing their MOWs for a while. My manager has been getting me, it's been putting a bug in my ear to write for many, many years. Mm -hmm. She says, why don't you turn this into a novel? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, no, that's a lot of work. <laughs> that whole thing that I can't imagine actually writing a novel. Let me write the first 50 pages. And she says, okay, I'll get, I'll get a literary agent to read it. I wrote it from a, a boy's point of view instead of a man's point of view. 12-year-old boy named Caleb. The story basically is about Caleb and his two sisters. One's older, one's younger. And the death of his parents from cholera forces them to hit the, hit the trail, literally the Oregon Trail, uh -huh. to find their uh, only living relative in uh, Montana, in the Bitterroot Mountains, and the dangers that they meet along the way. And I don't want to spoil the plot too much, but so I wrote that. Lit agent got back to me, and she rejected it, and she said... You know, for this age group, you need to think about this, this, this. And she gave me some very good notes. And I said, well, you know, I can take direction. I'm an actor. Now I'm a writer. If I massage this, according to your notes, will you read it again? She said, sure. So I stuck my dog, Joey, uh, in the car. And who's right beside me right now, wondering if I'm going to feed him. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I hit the trail. And we covered so much, you know, for about a month. I wrote and rewrote and rewrote, and then I handed it in to her, and she says, oh, my God, you know how to do this. When can I have the whole book? This was uh, about 
I want to say about five years ago or something, it was like a beginning of November. And she's just going to have the whole book by the first of the year. And I go, I'm not going to write 200 pages in two months. I don't think so. Uh, give me three months. So I did. And she looked at it and she says, oh, God, I'm going to represent this. Now rewrite it. Oh, okay. So she gave me notes. I rewrote it. She That took another nine months or so. And then she said, now I'm going to shop for a publisher. And she shopped for a publisher and got somebody who was interested. And he said, I really love it. I want to, this was uh, Source Books, the publisher is called. But I want to talk to him. So I talked to this guy uh, who was an editor. And he said, now, I love it. Rewrite it. So I rewrote that. And then it ended up after it was published and I did all these school tours and everything. It won the uh, best book of the West award and it's uh, you can get it anywhere. You mainly get it on Amazon, but it's one of the, it was so inspiring to me. And then I'd signed a two book deal with an option for a third. So the second book is called the secret mission of William Tuck. Again, it involves a, a young man, a boy in Virginia this time in the Revolutionary War, who leaves home uh, to become a drummer boy after the death of his uh, older brother causes him to enough grief to do this. Very first battle, he's sort of blown off of his feet and he lands next to a man who, ends, who we find out is a courier, a messenger, a spy, who's got a secret message that's got to get all the way to George Washington. And his dying words, he sort of tells him where he needs to go and who to meet the first leg uh, in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh-huh. And then you find out about all kinds of things, just real actual historical figures along the way. Uh-huh. A famous uh, spy, probably one of the most famous spies in American history, a guy named um, uh, Armistead. He was an African-American. He was a slave. Yeah. yeah. James Armistead. And he uh, gets together and... and uh, uh, helps him, and then he kind of goes through various stages. He gets caught aboard a prison ship and has to get out of there. And he's his main uh, ally in this is a girl who's slightly older who disguises herself as a boy, and she goes along on the adventure to help. Is why I love doing these books. I love uh, sort of full circle around with sort of my interest in history when I was younger. Uh, now to have all of this experience in entertainment as an actor and now writing and putting history into it. And I do these school visits, which I are really, really satisfying to me in a whole different way. I mean, now I've got several careers I'm working at the same time, it seems. And <laughs> it's, it, you know, just at that point of life, when you think that maybe things are going to slow down, they sped up. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I'm the third book will be a um, civil war adventure. Then I'll probably do something contemporary or go into the future and start writing interplanetary adventures with with kids. That's so we'll cool. see. Yeah, yeah. I think we got pretty much went over the time. <laughs> uh, by an hour I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like we went like we went over the. Time. We could have done the whole alien nation thing. Probably, so, oh. yeah. But yeah, it's with alien nation was ah. Oh. I love that show. I watch it periodically <laughs> to just because well, I love we'll do, it so much. Yeah, we'll have to do a thing. I'll try to get Gary. I don't even know where he is right now, but yeah. maybe we could do it. But um, yeah, uh, why don't we connect in a week or two and see if we can figure yeah. it out? 
Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Would love to have you back. Love to have you back. Thank you so much. Hey, for, it's been for fun for me. More us. fun than I, you know, obviously it's been an hour more fun. <laughs> <laughs> get, get an actor talking. And as I say, you got to give us the hook. Right. <laughs> and we don't mind because we love the stories, right. you know, it's, and, it's, and it's part of the fun of what we get to do um, as a podcast is being able to talk to you guys, whether it's, you know, actors, writers, directors, producers, whatever. Well, in a way, you know, I always feel like we're all in this together somehow. Yes. Uh, you know, you for every performer, you you also need an audience uh, and you need you need that. I mean, we're not going to be I'm not going to act in a closet. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. that would be just sick. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I can be. A there is that. I actually have a friend whose mom dressed up as uh, she actually had a box and painted it green and put a lampshade on her head and she went for Halloween as a one night stand, an alien ah. one night ah. stand. She was green. <laughs> uh, okay. That wins. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, oh, goodness. I take my dog for a walk and get him fed and get started with other stuff, but it's really been fun to talk to you guys. Great talking to you, too, Alex. And on that note, we wish you good night. Good night.